So one of the functions of wisdom is to discern a path through this mesmerizing cosmos as we might recognize in the cosmos we experience is always uh, very full and seemingly increasing in terms of the amount of pieces of information that that come in that make it up probably we all recognize the amount of information there is about just the material world alone is more than any of us could manage you go just through the physical sciences it's the amount of data and then you go to the psychological spiritual and so forth just the amount of data that's available is more than any of us could manage so even in our kind of ordinary worlds we're not specialists in in uh, physics or chemistry or medicine or still we're getting an enormous amount of data every day information about the state of the world culture finance economics health sport spirituality this that this that huge amount of stuff going on and every one of those seems to increase every year we get even more uh, details of technology and psychology and definitions it's a burgeoning proliferating world the cosmos is expanding I think it was somebody who said uh, the amount of uh, information someone in the 16th century would receive in one year, we receive in an hour. <laughs> you imagine 16th century, let alone India in the BC you know, in the 5th century, before the Christian era, it's just, what do you got? Sky, moon, no clocks, no times, uh, very little language, just earth, forest, wind, rain, elements. Mm. There's sort of three or four seasons, and that's, <laughs> you know, domestic, simple furniture, that's it, really. It's not a lot to have to to handle. Mm. (laughs) And so, mm. we have a huge amount just to even uh, get through a day in terms of, particularly if you're traveling, just the amount of piece of information you have to line up. So this is a vastly proliferating world, cosmos, that we experience. Someone can very well feel overloaded, and one of the benefits of retreat is just how to, you know, decrease the amount of stuff coming in, in terms of sense data. But still, there's all our inheritance uh, of a system that's full of uh, pieces of information and sense impression and memory. And it's also accustomed. 
to being filled and handling things. This is the way in which we manage our lives to get more and more pieces lined up. Uh, and that's the direction called becoming. Yeah. This often means our mind is moving very fast in a number of different directions, multitasking, operating in different spheres, trying to balance it all. So one of the functions of wisdom, at least in this sense, is to just simplify to something manageable. Really, if you look at it very basically, you know, what are called the Four Noble Truths, that really takes it down (laughs) to four pieces of information, which, of course, themselves have got more details in them. Stress. Are you feeling stressed? Where is that released? Can you experience the release? Having experienced the release to some degree, having found a center, can you also now, as you engage uh, with the cosmos, navigate in terms of action, speech, livelihood, which is a profound practice. This uh, assimilation or filtering is a process called careful or systematic or deep attention. Yonisom Manasikara means the measuring mind, the mind that organizes and calculates and uh, this kind of thing, actually reviews its own process and says, well, in all of that, what's the feeling of this? Let's get down to the where this is actually impacting the heart, where this is stirring the heart. Because in the uh, proliferation, the amount of data is getting so much that we really lose touch with how it's affecting our hearts. We just get so mesmerized by the data. So I say, well, how's all this? How's any of this? Any of the bit that's arising for you now, which could be concerns about your neighbors, relatives, state of health, the future of the world, anything really, you know. So it's that which arises. And it tends to produce a world out there, doesn't it? Either produce a world out there of people and topics and things, or a world in here, which we call myself, with my this and that, and my issues and characteristics and thoughts. And so again, this is complex too. So that's the internal and external aspects of our of our cosmos. So then. Any of that, what's the, how is that affecting? How is that touching the heart? Does it feel comfortable or uncomfortable? Does it uh, give rise to benevolent or comfortable energies or productive, useful energies, directions that leave good results or ones that don't leave good results? It's kind of internal questioning. Uh, with no should or shouldn't, just say how it is. Mm-hmm. At least then we are beginning to link, <laughs> you know, the measuring mind and the, the cosmos to this internal, this heart quality, 
which is the way out, the way through, and the way to integrate. Mm, because in the heart is the point at which those stimulations of various kinds can be felt, assimilated, soothed, released. Mm. So, for example, the sense of agitation and concern we experience over this, that and that, that agitation is stirring in the heart. And it's just for tend to that and what's needed here to support and help and resolve that, allow those messages to be heard, felt and opened around so they can pass through. Hmm? Internally or externally. So it's giving us some sense of uh, responsibility or you might say direct authority over our cosmos. So instead of being in a mesmerizing world out there that I, I'm kind of not separate from because it's invading me, but I feel separate from because I can't manage it and it's all about, you know, the other side of the world or beyond my power. So this feeling of stuck in impotence or internal world where I've got these habits and painful memories and stuck places and places where I get very fearful and depressed and what do I do about that, you know? So say, so, well, what it takes to sense of supervision of where that's impacting, the impact, supervision of it, is that it's happening to the heart. The world and the self arise in the heart. Mm. That's where they arise in. Mm. Certain sense data, sense data as gathered by the measuring mind. And we would all acknowledge there's much more data than any of us can really handle, but we generally grab a, a chunk of data. <laughs> you know, say it could be political world. You know, so we take a chunk of that. You know, that's that, and then the impact of that, fear or worry or whatever, into the heart. Mm -hmm. So the measuring mind goes out and takes, formulates some piece of information, you know, formulates it, that's called attention. So instead of attending to the carpet or the space or the light, we attend to a global issue. Uh, it's attention, it selects an object and it forms it and then it places the meaning of that into the heart and the feeling. So as it brings the sense world into the heart, we get a sense of meaning, impression and feeling arises and then things start moving. So even if you look in the room, you know, you open your eyes, you see this visual 
field and then something you will select either the people or one person or the stove or the Buddha images or the timber or the window or me or something select one piece in that field a a manageable chunk and then that, that selection goes in and then we feel maybe inspired or gladdened or comforted or concerned or whatever so the that becomes our take on what's happening in the room. So scanning visually, take a certain amount of that, which is probably about 5%. Uh, Maybe less. Take that and then drop that. That happens very quickly, from the eyes to the mind, which does the selecting, and then, oh... That means that, when we get that moment of that means, or that is, or I know, or that's what that is, that moment of recognition, it's called perception, uh-huh, the little light flashes, well, not visually, but an inner, ah, oh, and then the feeling, that's called contact, so the perception, contact, feeling. It could be just a sense of mildly agreeable or you know, a shimmer. And then the activations start, which could be emotional. Some activations start. Which in our situation here is pretty mild compared with the street in Paris, for example. (laughs) Where really the volume is turned up, everything is changing. How is it? So in just noticing uh, impression, activation, and then maybe as we get the activation, we feel touched by something. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's wonderful. The mind starts adding more to it, or thinking about it, about what it will be, what it could be, what it should be, what it means. You know, seeks for more information. Yeah, you know, so you take this, even just this structure of the building, you know, wood, you think, oh, I wonder where the wood came from, what kind of wood it is, who designed it. It reminds me of this. I saw somewhere in, in London it looked like that. But you could have made it a bit higher, or perhaps wider. Or the lighting, you know. <laughs> I could, I maybe it's a good idea, I could design something like that in my home. You know, <laughs> so on, so on. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's called proliferation. And in that, as the proliferation goes on, we don't really notice where the heart is. We notice the, the world. Yeah. And the heart is actually stimulated, activated. Uh, it's called rising up, the rising up, samudayo. And it's uh, expressed this way with the rising up of name and form is the rising of citta. That's the succinct expression. So form, there's an object. Name, there's some kind of attention that scans it and forms it and it derives a perception from it. 
uh, and the feeling. That's all held under the one word, nama, designation, you could say, meaning. When that lands, name form, the arising of the citta. Citta rises up into the manifestation. Mm. And it's also said with the ceasing of that, <laughs> there's the subsiding, citta moves into absence. <laughs> it's emptied. It's not extinct, it's just it's non-manifested. So then the cosmos goes into the mm, non-manifest and we begin to experience some of like the relativity of it all. So sustaining you know, the wisdom to know, uh, first of all to know how to know and the different kinds of knowledge. So the knowledge of the measuring mind is called manyati, which is involved with measuring. And it measures and it calculates and it compares and it projects, could be, should be, what will it be? So it creates the world of time and space. Evolve out of that measurement. It's so big, it's this big, it's this color, it's this shape, and it's going to last this long, or it was and it will be. And it's then start to calculate how to optimize that. That's the measuring mind, and we can see that our uh, cosmos is very much um, fed and generated through the measuring mind. You have enormous amounts of ways in which we can measure the cosmos. And the furthest developments of science have come to the point when they recognize you can't measure it. They say you can't, it's impossible. Because as soon as you measure something, you change it. It's quantum, you see. You can't really measure things because everything is so mutual, so sensitive that the act of measuring changes what we're experiencing. So it really comes to the recognition of we are not observing a cosmos, we are participating in it. The act of attention participates and fabricates and proliferates a cosmos. If it didn't proliferate, the cosmos would empty. Mm. So <laughs> this kind of little piece of, uh, of understanding, mm-hmm. how just noticing, just to be able to gain some authority over our experience, which otherwise runs away like crabs on a plate. You know, they just keep running off. You try to get one, it scats off the other direction. So get to the heart. This is feelings, feeling stirred, feeling stimulated, uh, feeling stagnant, feeling constricted, uh, feeling barren, feeling stuck. Remember, it's always a mutual with when you bring awareness in rather than measurement, then the experience has mutuality to it. This means what we're aware of, immediately there's a resonance. 
So when we think about something, we think about it, and then we think some more about it, and then we think some more about how we think about it. So we add, but when we directly aware, awareness just resonates it. This is this, uh-huh. This is this, uh-huh. It's like this, uh-huh. So it resonates. And that resonance, rather than proliferating about what would be, should be, why it is and why it isn't, there's that resonance, uh-huh. It's this. Uh-huh. It's this. We're bringing this to the heart faculty, this quality of awareness into the heart. It's like this now. That resonance allows for the growth of a relationship. Right? Rather than more or proliferating, it feels like this now. Then there's a sense of relationship. How, how does this feel? And then what's helpful? What does it need? So it's a sympathetic relationship. It's not providing answers. It's almost saying to the heart, what do you need? But it's not verbal. It's just that, that encouragement for the heart to discern its stimulation, to know itself in that state and oh, recognition, realization. And in that recognition and realization, the heart begins to oh, sort of come into balance. Mm. Now, because we so often use intelligence as the measuring mind's capacity, the measuring mind, when it's, in, it's intelligence, says that's that, and it creates a concept which is separate from the thing. That's a bell. Bell, right? I remember the bell. I've left that thing behind, and I remember the bell. I've got this idea of bell. Yeah? I think about that bell, what's it made of? Where could I get one like that? So I'm thinking about it. Now I could also just... (laughs) What bell? (laughs) Is there a bell? sound, isn't there? So I'm not creating the object of bell, which is the visual appearance. I'm entering through the reality of the bell by touching it. I'm engaging with it. Now if it didn't do that, it wouldn't be a bell, would it? It'd just be a walk. <laughs> we call it a walk. A piece of metal. Because it does that, we call it a bell. That's the name. The name is now Bell. Interestingly enough, here you have some of these uh, bells. The meal bell is actually something from a, I think, from a, a shell, a military tip of a missile of some kind, which used to be called deadly missile, but now is called Bell. <laughs> Because you strike it and it becomes bell. 
So what it is depends on your participation with it, doesn't it? So the object itself is really empty. It's not a bell, it's not a walk until you touch it, until you engage with it. Now if I put some oil in it and put it on a stove, it would perhaps be a walk. <laughs> so what is it? So the measuring mind only creates something that tells us about it. It doesn't enter into the actual reality of it. And the reality of it is pretty fluid. It depends on how you engage with it. You put it on your head, it might be a hat. <laughs> hmm? So there's abstract knowing, which creates these abstractions, which are actually frozen. A bell is always a bell. That's what's convenient about it. I can go somewhere else and say bell, and they'll get a rough idea of what I'm talking about. Not exactly this one, though. They get a, a rough impression. That's good enough in terms of measuring mind. Yeah. But with... Uh, Direct reality, we enter into something where we participate and it resonates. And there's no about it. There's a direct experience of that, which is resonant, changeable, and momentary. As soon as I stop ringing it, the bell disappears. Just become a visual object, piece of brass. You know, so direct reality is both momentary, resonant, yeah, and um, changeable. How we engage with it is extremely significant. So we're not, if, if we don't, not thinking about it, thinking about it is not an engagement with it. That's a derivation, that's an abstraction. Direct engagement with it. Now if we directly engage with the experience with, okay, a mind that's steady, a heart that's steady and cool and interested, you know, or compassionate or wise or crazy or distracted, the object will change. The direct sense of the object will change. We can still call it a bell or something as an abstract idea, but we probably, you know, depending on how we struck it, we might find it a horrible sound or a pleasing resonance or, you know, whatever. This is, of course, a very simple example. But when we turn towards our world, the way we engage it is extremely significant because it's where many, many potentially volatile impressions arise in the citta. Yeah. Not just one, but many volatile impressions, of which there'll be something will be leading it. The leader may be sense of um, you are, you're, you're bound to this. There can be a certain trapped sense that comes up with it. You are identified with it. 
you're in it. The heart is somewhat contracted by that. It says this is an actual reality. This is not an idea in your mind. This is definite reality. And you're in it. And you can't do much about it. And one day you'll die. <laughs> and that's that. You think. <laughs> so, you know, that resonance can come in. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you are. That's another one that comes. So you're overwhelmed in some respect. Okay, what am I going to do about this? Yeah. So these resonances can be a fear resonance. It's like anxiety resonance. It's uncertain. It's unsure. Yeah. And then various forms of heart. If it was bound in its bound sense, this, these instinctive reflexes come in to search for gratification to search to form something within that or to get out of it and so the car contracts then this you know getting this rather afflictive relationship discordant so as if we just kind of looking directly at the first resonances that arise and beginning to check those resonances of unwelcome you know, or, or enticement, you know, something that causes us to feel challenged or something that causes us to feel, you know, get more of this or uncertain. Those first resonances that happen in the heart. And, okay, these are resonances. So the Yoni Sikara deep attention takes away from the about, away from proliferation, back to the direct resonances of the heart. The heart resonances can then be felt, sensed, and known directly. Direct knowing, pajanati, so measuring mind as manyati, and the direct knowing is called pajanati, is thorough, directly aware. So it's a different kind of knowing, it's non-conceptual. And direct knowing aware, pajanati, thoroughly, directly aware. Mm. Uh, heart knows, it knows what's happening to it. It doesn't have to separate to know it. Now, uh, one of the features of the measuring mind, which make it kind of convenient, is this ability to separate from the object it's knowing. Yeah. So that's a car, okay, that's a car, so what? Make it this way, make it that way, throw it away, it's nothing to do with me. And, you know, I'm separate from it. And we've developed that to a huge degree. You can see, because we're dealing with abstractions. Now, in some ways this is really okay, I guess, in terms of immaterial things, but of course it does eventually move towards living, animate things, such as that's a tree. And so we look at the tree and think, well, okay, green, tree, don't like this, well, maybe lumber, chop it down, timber. So I'm not engaging with the life force, the vitality, the subjective, the whatever that tree is, as a living creature. I'm seeing it as an object and there's that, and I'm not involved with that. And I can sort of do it what I want with it. Now we move along to, of course, the 
rest of the created world and you begin to get a feeling for the, the tragedies that can occur when we treat the rest of the created world and then gradually other people uh, who are generally held as an abstraction. They're held as ab- in abstractions. They're not sentient human beings. They are, and then you get a nationality or a racial type or criminal types or migrants or, you know, something. You give them a label, <laughs> so an abstract label. They take, take away the felt living reality of the person and put a label there. Once a label's there, then, you know, well, we can sort of <laughs> do whatever with it. And, of course, this is an ongoing tragedy. And then we tend to do the same with ourselves because we may have a kind of an idea of what we are or should be or could be or what other people think of us as. Uh, And actually, we are pretty... What's happening for us is pretty fluid and flexible and mobile and changing. It doesn't really fit any fixed position, any fixed... But we try to establish an idea of who we are and what we could or should be. And then the, the fluid reality is lost. We're compressed into a, a sort of an image. Yeah. Yeah. And these can have all kinds of um, emotional pressure. You should be a, a kind person. You should be a responsible person. You should be a punctual person. Yeah. A responsible, punctual, efficient careful, tidy, neat, and relaxed. (laughs) And cheerful. At the same time. (laughs) He can't... (laughs) Can't happen, can it? So it's just kind of wipe, take away the the notion of the person. This is certainly not an act of cruelty. It's not a denial of your existence. It's taking you out of the box. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be any of it. You don't have to be cheerful, bright, wise, enlightened, competent, efficient. Any of the labels just... Oh, you know. Let the heart experience itself directly. This is pain. This is faith, this is a sense of willingness, this is challenge, this is resistance, uh, this is bubbling, you know, how is it? So just reading that and resonating with it. In that resonance, the heart knows itself, and as it begins to know itself and, and really know what's going on and be reminded, just reminded of the relational Potential, the heart is naturally relational. Relate to that. Relate to that. So here's the agitation. Rather than think about it and what it should be, relate to agitation, which is probably going to be, oh, hmm, hmm, how does this settle? The heart seeks its own resolution. No, you don't have to be told it. Now, if you take your body and, and stand up, right, you don't have to say to the body, 
Now make sure you're balanced. Remember balance, that's an important word. <laughs> Otherwise you're going to fall over and hurt yourself. The body gets up and it, it sort of inclines towards balance because that's its nature. It doesn't want to be imbalanced. You don't have to tell it. You just stand up and it's going to find its feet. It might shake, its legs might be numb, but it's going to move towards balance. That's its nature. It knows when it's imbalanced. And it knows its natural inclination is towards balance. You say, well, how does the body know without me telling it? (laughs) Because the body is intelligent. (laughs) You don't have to tell it. You try and tell your body how to walk, you couldn't do it. Which muscles to use, which, how much pressure to put, you just, you couldn't do it with your head. Your body knows how to do it perfectly well. And a lot of the time we're actually beginning to remove our ideas of walking so that we can walk naturally. Remove the idea of walking of getting somewhere, of making even how many paces and legs, and just let the body walk and sense how it happens. And the body knows what it's doing. And you feel that sense of something intelligent actually there, feeling the balances, feeling the texture of the earth, how much effort is necessary, what speed feels comfortable, you know? The pace, the flow, and it gets more confident and fluid in itself. It becomes extremely graceful and you realize hey it's something very beautiful happening here by itself ah and if it's hurt if it's not much energy it can go slower it will always move towards the most harmonious possibility in accordance with what's occurring and the heart will do that But in order to do so, it has to resonate with itself, not with you, not with your head. It has to feel itself. Uh, You know, the body itself is pretty constricted in many respects by our normal ways of using it. We rush places, we don't pay attention to it, we don't even inhabit all of it, we neglect it, we compress it into various unfortunate positions, we kind of don't really inhabit all of it in in an aware, full way, we just inhabit particular zones or make it do things, so it's it's certainly, it's, it's kind of gone a bit numb. So you have to really encourage the fullness of awareness of the body, so the body will know itself. Heart even more so. Heart extremely affected and pressurized. Social obligation, personal attitudes, impressions and so forth. In this um, compressed state, it's very difficult to process things like pain. You know, when you get down to it. Pain from loss, pain from hurt, pain from things going too fast, pain from neglect, the various kinds of pains that occur, the lack of love, is painful, it's like no food, it's drying up, you know, and fear, 
of not being adequate, pain. Fear of rejection, pain. Fear of loss, experience of loss, pain. And so that's what happens. And that's where we are. Now, the healthy heart can process that. But these definitely, you know, have to be processed. Has to resonate with them. If it resonates, then it's obviously not agreeable. It's a bit shaky, but it, it learns to get bigger and greater and more wider and steadier. So yes, this is the uncomfortable, disappointing. Energy swinging around a lot in here. Okay, it's just bear with this, patient, kindly, economist. You know. There's a relationship that's that's healing. This is the great heart. Mahagachitta. The heart made great. And it's made great by handling and meeting its pleasure and pain. And which is what eventually as we crystallize the meanings of our world, this is right at the tip. The tip, the pointing tip of the meanings, uh, uncomfortable, you know, stressful, or enjoyable, pleasing, and to be with that. So this is a, a wisdom process and uh, a faith process because it's certainly none of us, I should imagine, wish for pain, want to be with it. <laughs> feel ready to embrace it. Um, and we're not seeking it either. So, you know, it's pleasurable experiencing that. And then turning also as a primary source of uh, heart strengthening, turning to the body. Because the heart, this is where we get the enormous benefit to meet some of this uh, struggle. We're getting the energy resource and the steadiness of the body. It fortifies, stabilizes the heart, gives it the support. The heart intelligence is like the body intelligence is direct, it's non-conceptual. And the qualities of the heart intelligence and the body intelligence run either in parallel or on the same circuits. What you feel in your heart, you'll feel in your body. And also where your body is becoming steadied and comfortable, your heart will pick that up if you turn towards it, of course. Turning towards the inner body, breathing body, the vitality body, tracking its its ability to arise and subside comfortably, fluently. And this definitely gives a big massage uh, effect to the heart, strengthens it, gives it a life support. So then we're much more able to deal with the irregular tangles of our experience and sort of from this place, just and you're more able to really notice how things are affecting you. Many things are just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
But over, over a while, what will occur, as you probably recognize on retreat, is, you know, pretty nice situation, very nice people, pleasant situation, and then, oh, yeah, 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 and then, whoa. <laughs> you know, the stuff, the heart's kind of agenda comes up, like, here's the sense of resentment, <laughs> here's the sense of having failed, here's the sense of... Uh, what happened to her, you know, is those senses that we haven't been able to process, that we haven't been able, we haven't processed, they come up, this is the unfinished business. Mm. I think we've got the basic handle on some of these um, simple body postures, and just bearing in mind, we're practicing with body as a field, rather than particular point details. Just the whole field of it as it walks, as it stands, as it sits, as it reclines. So really make uh, an, uh, an effort, but an encouragement to get the wholeness of it, because this is not that usual. A lot of the time we really occupy in just a zone, head zone, with hands stuck on it from time to time. So it's better to just sense the entire body as an energy system, like a living creature from top to toe. You know, it takes some practice to come out of you know, the old habits. But then you have that field open. There's where you're going to find in that wholeness, you can begin to sense that which unifies the body from its apparent different pieces is the energy flows that run through all of it. That's what unifies it. This is what samadhi is about. Um, so, called it the subtle body, or the energy body, or the kaya sankara. And that is actually very much underpinning the chitta, the heart. So in that place you can really sense comfortable, slightly stirred, Mm. something holding back something feeling restless, agitated what's that? Uh, and sometimes you don't really, even really know but you get those senses and just you can feel them energetically and you start to open around it and it begins to dissolve and sometimes it brings up topics memories uh, and try to hold it as the felt experience whether it's objectively true or not there's no such thing as objective truth there's only subject, different subjectivities so it doesn't matter we know if it's near or far imagined, fantasized, paranoid whatever it is, there it is relate to that in a way that's allows it to pass through. So let's take some time for direct practice, and if you could uh, get back here about 11.30, then we could pervade the cosmos with goodwill. And if you want to do that, pervade the cosmos with goodwill at any time, day or night, that's also totally fine. (laughs) 